us uh, through the preaching today. I hope you're able to find Romans 8 nice and quickly. We'll be there again this morning in this first session and then, Lord willing, we will try and finish out the chapter in our third session, the last one for this morning, uh, before Brother Tracy finishes off with a a picture of glory, I think, tonight as well, living in the light of the Lamb's glory. Uh, We're going to have a think about glory today uh, with a message with the title, Groaning for Glory. Um, I want to share that um, this has been a hard message for me to prepare prayerfully in that I'm seeing and coming face to face with loved ones who are suffering in this life, Uh, Christians who may not have long Uh, here this side of eternity and as I think about the groaning of creation and the groaning of the Christians and even the groaning of the spirit inside us as we pray uh, there's a lot of thoughts and emotions that kind of well up within me so I'll try by God's grace to keep those things in check but if that comes out that's the reason why Um, it's because this is quite pertinent and we'll pray and uh, and have a look at what the Lord would have for us. Father, we do thank you for your word. We pray that we might uh, sit uh, prepared in our hearts and minds under the preaching of your word today, that we might seek to to hear what you would have for us and that we might seek to conform our our thinking and our emotions and our actions, help us to to bring ourselves into uh, subjection and obedience to your word. Lord, we thank you that this life is not the end that we have a glorious and sure hope as believers and I pray that you might encourage us today as we hear the groans in this life uh, may they harmonize into something melodious as we think about the life to come we pray these things in Jesus name amen Uh, first John 3 is uh, a passage that I quoted last time a couple of verses there that I'll share with you again first John 3 says in verse 1 and 2 behold What manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And that theme carries through Romans 8 for us. Two themes kind of interweaving the suffering of believers and the glorification of believers, uh, suffering now and glory to come. 1 John 3, 2 tells us that we don't yet appear to be who we really are and it's a reminder to me because we are often discouraged by besetting sin and we might not look like the sons of God and we might not look like glorified saints um, but those things will be revealed in us when he shall come. We are beset by sins that we wrestle and struggle with. Sometimes we're beset by the saints. Have you found criticism come your way and you you might be discouraged by the comments of a brother? Maybe they intend to be a discouragement, maybe they don't, but you might find yourself looking at them and thinking, well, I'm glad it does not yet appear what they are, but they are the sons of God and one day it will be revealed. You might see it in your own heart. You might see the sin and the flesh that we wrestle with having influence and control that we would dearly love for it not to have. We groan within ourselves. You see the increasing age and the word that comes to mind is decrepitude. When you look at one another year by year, 
come back to conference and I had the comment last night from a friend of mine, he says, your hair's gone a lot greyer since I saw you last. <laughs> Thank you. Glory. <laughs> but we do, we get older, we get, we get more frail, we, we grow weak and I think Brother Tracy and I were saying and we talk about health more and more as we get older. It seems to be a constant point of discussion. Ailing, failing health. Backs and necks and shoulders and livers and all sorts of things. And we groan in the body, awaiting the new body. And as the older we get, the more inclined we are to delight in that notion. We think, oh, that new body's going to be something special. But this passage from verse, say, 17 and following in Romans 8, we link these two things that we don't normally put together, sufferings and glory, or the hurts of life and the hallelujahs, the praise of God's people. But they belong together, suffering and glory. In fact, the Scriptures often link them together. Um, Romans eight seventeen says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. Uh, Paul was no stranger to suffering. In fact, he it strikes me every time I read it when he says things like this, for our light affliction, right? And I just recount the sufferings of Paul and I think to myself, how does he call it light affliction, which is but for a moment, which works a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now, physical, emotional sufferings, uh, the sufferings and the troubles of life are linked to the glory that comes. But don't think that if you suffer more, you'll be more glorified. Some people think that it's a, well, if I really endured so much in this life, so I must be really extra glorified in the next. It's not measured that way. It's not so much a, uh, a, a price we pay for a greater reward in glory. Rather, it's a privilege. That's the way the, the apostles thought of it. They counted it a privilege to be counted worthy to suffer for his, for his name. And that all strikes me. You read through the book of Acts and you see them beaten and, and cast into prison and don't preach in his name and what do they do? They go back and do the same. Paul and Silas in prison after being beaten and locked up, what are they? Singing praises at midnight, so much so that the, the other prisoners heard and responded to their testimony that no one fled when the bars of the prison were opened and the, the jailer there is ready to take his life. So the, the apostles suffered with joy and delight because I think they comprehended the truth of this, that though it is a privilege to endure for Christ's sake. Philippians 1.29, for unto you it is given in behalf of Christ, not only, uh, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Um, Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. And we don't naturally respond that way. When people say things, hurtful things um, against us as Christians, they revile and persecute us, we don't rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is our reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Nothing helps us more to embrace that right perspective on suffering than a right perspective on the incomparable glory that is just around the corner. Just a moment of suffering now for an incomparable glory tomorrow. Have a read here with me from Romans 8, 17 and down. Romans 8, 17, and I mention this, and if children then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, we, that we may also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption in the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. We're saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth uh, our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. And we'll read down to the end of verse 30. Uh, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. We'll leave our reading there in this session. A magnificent prospect awaits us. All throughout the scripture, a thread of hope, a glimmer of hope, a promise, um, a, uh, through the prophetic writings and right through into the New Testament where the rumor breaks forth, there is coming a day where heartache and hurt will be no more. It will all be brought into perspective and we will see God's creation and God's intent and his plan come to fruition and we will hear the proclamations and the worship and the glory of creation singing God's praise. Things will be restored, things will be repaired, things will be as God intended them to be one day, but not yet. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. We tend to take note of our sufferings. We like to keep a record of all of the injustices. We like to note all the things that we've endured, the, the hard things, the difficult things. Oh, it's been... We, we have a long list in our minds, don't we, of our sufferings. But Paul says here, the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared. It's a, forget them, right? There's not any sense in bringing them to the table in comparison to the glory which is about to come. So our fine record-keeping needs to really be let go that we might spend the time meditating on the glory that's promised rather than lamenting the sorrows of today. And I know that's hard and it's hard, especially hard in certain circumstances. But it's not, the sufferings of today are not worthy to be compared with the glory to come. The the incomparable glory is just around the corner. It's incomparable in its intensity. Our sufferings hurt us, but they don't compare in the intensity to the glory that comes. Physical and emotional pain is real. It's awful. It can be almost unendurable, and we feel like it will crush us as it bears down upon us, but it is not comparable in the intensity of the glory that's to come. 
It's incomparable in its intensity. Paul is straining in language to describe the fantastic thing that's about to happen and the door is about to burst forth and he's, he's trying to com- compel and un- uh, convey an understanding for us. The glory is not just incomparable in its intensity, but it's incomparable in its locality. Where is the glory to be revealed? We are not spectators in some cosmic grandstand watching God's glory displayed before us. The glory is to be revealed in us. And that ought to humble us today. We're not spectators. We are the the objects that declare the glory. The glory that God wants to reveal is not showing us something majestic and spectacular after we've waited and waited and waited. No, it is just exposing in us his glory, that we might be revealed to be who we are, the sons and daughters of the Most High. It is incomparable in its locality. It's in us. Ephesians 2 verse 4, after declaring the the desperate condition of mankind outside of Christ, in verse 4 says, as God intervenes, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved. And verse 6 says this, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. That's about to happen. In the scheme and the timeline of eternity, it's, it's almost nigh. We're here for just a drop in the bucket, and we talked about that. A drop in the bucket. And it feels like it lingers and it's a long existence here in this life, but the door's about to burst forth. Let's have a look here in this passage about some groaning in awaiting this reality. Because the truth is, this is not home yet. The door hasn't burst forth. In verse 19, we see the creature or creation itself groaning. Later in our passage, we'll see Christians groaning. And further down, we'll see the Holy Spirit or the Comforter groaning. But firstly, think about creation in verse 19. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature, now this is creation itself, was made subject to vanity, uh, not willingly, but by reason of him who was subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. To groan means to sigh. It's the sound that one makes when they're carrying a burden. And I can probably give you a few sighs by demonstration, but I don't want to. You know, like, we know what the sigh sounds like, we do it. But creation itself is sighing. Now, we've been talking about this, and I, I agree that creation, the heavens declare the glory of God. All right, the firmament showeth his handiwork. We can look around and we can see God's glory and his, his handiwork in creation, in the stars in the sky, in the intricacies of nature, in the balance and the beauty and the detail and the colors, the colors. But rec- and I want you just even right now to think about the most majestic natural scene you can think of. It might be, 
might be a mountaintop with clouds, it might be a, you know, an island out in the Pacific with water as clear as crystal and sand as white as pure snow. Like, I don't know what your idyllic kind of picture of creation is. Maybe it's the sunset and the clouds. But with that in mind, recognize that that is a marred, cursed creation. The lions don't lay down with lambs just yet, do they? You step off the trail and you step on a snake, it bites you and you die. This world, as beautiful as it is, is cursed, groaning, and even expecting and longing redemption that it may be as God intends it to be. Now, this language, obviously, creation is not like a person with a will and a desire, but Paul is here communicating that this, this redemption extends beyond you and I to all the world. It's going to be restored and the experience right now is that it's cursed. Poison and death and violence and earthquakes and floods and fires. Creation groans, it says, in travail. And that's the description of a woman in labor. All right? It's in pain and it's in anguish. But it also is going through that pain and anguish with a hope that, there will one, that, that soon there will be a, a delivery. All right? And a blessing. And creation is groaning in travail, anticipating the restoration of things prior, as they were prior to Adam's sin and God's curse. The thorns and thistles are not God's first intent. They're here because of sin. And Romans 8.19 gives us this picture. For the earnest expectation of creation. This word earnest expectation is a picture of to crane the neck or to stand on tippy toes peering over and trying to see something. You picture creation doing that. It's like a, a, a comical kind of idea, but that's what creation's doing. It's longing to see what? Standing on tiptoe, eagerly anticipating what? Verse 19 tells us. It's waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God, that you may appear to be as you are, that the sons of God might see him and we might be made as he is, that we might be glorified and this world might be restored to what God intended it to be. It was man's sin that put thorns on the roses. It was man's sin that made animals hate and fear each other and predators and carnivores coming to being. And we can't imagine a world as beautiful as our world is. We struggle to comprehend the world without that curse. It's been our experience. Sweat of your brow, right? Everyone who's trying to grow food knows the difficulty. We, we live always in this experience, but one day it will be freed. And the bursting forth, the blooming of glory in creation is more than we can comprehend. The desert bringing forth like the rose. The lion laying down with the lamb. Um, freedom, peace, none hurting and destroying in all of God's holy mountain. Rivers running free and clear and sweet again. Our picture of glory, our picture of creation, our... our our best idea, our best imagination of what a glorious creation looks like, it doesn't compare to what will break forth on that day. Second thing that groans is us. Verse 19, we read about the creature being made subject to vanity and desiring to be set free into glorious liberty with the children of God in verse 21. And then verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans, verse 23, and not only they but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, 
waiting for the adoption to with the redemption of our body. Along with creation, the child of God groans today. Now, I think primarily Paul is speaking about our desire to be free from these mortal bodies that are afflicted and affected by the flesh. Be free from the influence of the carnal mind, the, carnal, the, the, the war in our members to be delivered from that finally and fully. He mentions the first fruits of the Spirit, and that is that the Spirit indwells us and empowers us and shows us that life is possible and that the intended life is possible by His work in us. But the first fruits is only a small measure of what will come in abundance. We have a taste. And that taste in, 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 in empowering us to walk, in empowering us to walk in obedience to the Lord, we also grow in our sensitivity to sin. Christians grieve because we, we know sin within us and the Holy Spirit reveals that, convicts it. We grieve over the sin in others and the sin in this world and we long for a day where everything will be brought right. When we get saved, the Spirit of God moves in and empowers us but also reveals sin and convicts of sin and bur the, the burden of sin grows in some ways. All recognised the battle within in previous chapter. But what's our anticipation? We groan within ourselves waiting for the redemption of the body. For we're saved by hope. What does he mean here, we're saved by hope? Hope for Christians and hope in the scriptures means something vastly different to the world's idea of hope. It's not a, I hope I win the lottery, which would be a miracle because I haven't entered the lottery. Right? It's not a, I hope so, I hope this happens. It's not a longing for and a wishing for, but rather a, confident assurance that these things will come to pass. We have an assurance of these truths, but we haven't seen them yet. It's the hope of the Christian and the, the, the and when we say we're saved by hope, I, I believe Paul here is talking about we're delivered from our groaning, right? We're, we're saved from our groaning because we have assurance of something better to come. So we're, we're delivered by our confident assurance, saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. It's like saying, well, if you've seen it already, you're not anticipating it. You haven't got this confident assurance that it's coming. It's already here. He says, if you've seen it already, that's not hope. For what a man seeth, why does he hope for it? If, you, if you've already received the fullness of the promises, then there's nothing left to anticipate. But we haven't received the fullness. And we are longing and anticipating. And he says, we hope, uh, verse 25, but if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And I don't like having to be patient. I, I long for the fullness of these promises and the Lord is working in me and, and like he is in you to bring us to maturity that we might be patient, that we might be long-suffering, that we might endure though the drop in the bucket seems long, right? But if we keep our thoughts fixed on the sure hope of the fullness of the promise just around the corner, then we can wait with patience. It's not just the Christian that groans in anticipation. It's also the Spirit. And I will say this, there's a lovely cross-reference that I come across this morning as I was praying and thinking. Over in Psalms 17, verse 15, David here expresses the heart way back in the Old Testament, and way back in his economy. He says this, As for me, 
I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Isn't that a grand statement from David? I'll read it again. As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Do you, wait, do you think you'll be satisfied when you awake in glory with his righteousness? Just like David, we would all agree. We want to see the face of our Saviour. We want to be conformed finally and fully into his image that we might be seen as we are and that we enjoy his likeness and there we will be satisfied. It's not just the Christian that groans, not just creation, but it tells us in verse 26 and 27 that the comfort of the Holy Spirit groans as well. Um, you can see here in verse 26, likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. We know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. I want to see first in this part, because we often run straight to the prayer aspect, that the, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us in prayer. But the first part of verse 26 tells us that the comfort of the Holy Spirit sustains us. He, he helps our, our infirmities. He takes hold of our burdens he helps us. And you remember Mary and Martha, when Jesus came into the home and Mary was sitting at the feet of Christ, listening to his instruction, and Martha was cumbered about with much serving, and she kind of talked to the Lord and said, just, can you get my sister to help me? Can you get her to sustain? Can you get her to help me carry the burden? And that's the idea. Um, the believer enjoys the Holy Spirit's help. What burden does he help us carry? Well, this earthly life with all its suffering, the suffering of life, the sinful and morally deficient bodies, the flesh, the tendency towards evil, the ministry of the Spirit helps us and enables. But he also speaks for us when we, when we don't know what to pray. And we might make this kind of and I know sometimes we are so emotionally overwhelmed that all we can do is weep. That happens. And in those moments, I'm confident that the Spirit expresses to the Father the, the prayers that we cannot voice. But it's more than that, because here it says, the Spirit intercedes, if I get this verse right, the Spirit helps our infirmities, for we, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. It's not so much that we aren't, able to because we're emotionally overwhelmed but we sometimes just don't know what the will of God is we don't know how we should pray we don't know what we should pray and this passage both these verses together tell us that the spirit intercedes um, making intercession we don't know how we should pray as we ought but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God and it seems to me if you put those together that Christians afflicted and groaning sometimes don't know what God's will is but the spirit ministers in groanings that can't be uttered and intercedes and leads us to the will of God that we might pray and that we might to receive the answers to prayer um, in relation to the will of the father now some people will read these verses and say, well, if we don't know how we should pray, why, would you, why should we pray at all? I mean, if we don't know, why should we bother? But that would be in contradiction to other verses which say that we should pray, that we have not because we ask not. Uh, and that also goes on to saying we have not because we might ask amiss, right? that we might consume it on our lusts. 
So we struggle sometimes, not so much, and we may not understand what God's will is in the groanings of life, and the Spirit comes along and groans within us. He enables us, and He leads us in prayer, and He helps us, I believe, to know God's will and to be able to accept God's will in circumstances. And I've had that experience where I've tried to help people through hospitals and through sickness and even death, where Christians are able to embrace God's will in circumstances that, humanly speaking, everyone would just be angry and like bitter and resentful and shaking the fist at God. But Christians who have the Holy Spirit, how do they respond? They embrace God's will. Not all of them, not all the time, but I think that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit moving and groaning within us. He is a comforter in every sense of the word. Um, Jesus prayed, he said, I'll pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. When someone groans, it's not a pleasing sound. It's not a delightful noise to hear. And someone said that the noises of creation are in the minor key. I don't know enough about music to be able to hear the, the waves crashing and the, the song of the birds. I, I can't hear the major or minor key, but the truth is that the sound of creation is a groaning as glorious as we see it to be. It's still groaning. The spirit groans, Christians groan. And if you hear all three groans at the same time, you might be well inclined to cover your ears. Imagine having three children all groaning at the same time. Are we there yet? <laughs> right? Creation, are we there yet? No, the sons of God aren't manifested to be who they are. The Christian goes, can we be there yet? The adoption of the body, the redemption, sorry, the redemption of the body. Not yet. The Holy Spirit ministering through. But if we can see what's to, about to break forth, we can hear that those groans will become a majestic symphony. The groans harmonize. They work together. And we can hear the song of tomorrow. And we can delight in the song of tomorrow, even though we are subjected to the suffering of today. Because the great maestro, God himself, has a plan. He has a purpose in it all. And we can see that here, and we're not going to preach on this particular passage right now, but we can see it here in verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. You see, all the sufferings have intent. They're not random events with no meaning. God is at work in all and through all to bring about his will. What's his will? What's his purpose? And in verse 29, we see his purpose plainly stated that he wants a people who he loves to love him and to fellowship with him. And from eternity past to eternity future, he has secured that plan and promise for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Do you feel secure in the plan of God? I do. This passage is one of assurance because God has taken steps to make sure his plan comes to fruition. The door is about to burst open, and the sufferings of this life are soon to be replaced with a glory incomparable in intensity in us. And for that, we rejoice. I hope you can hear the song of tomorrow. Because if you can, you'll delight in the music of tomorrow today. Groan, that's normal. 
but grown with hope for what will be around the corner. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time we've had in the word this morning. We pray that you might speak to us in our hour of need. Lord, this life is, is hard and especially there are seasons of intense difficulty. But this life is not the end and glory awaits. Thank you that we are the sons of God by faith in Jesus Christ and that as sons we will be revealed to be just that when Christ comes for his own and we shall be made like him as we see him as he is. Lord, creation itself groans in anticipation for that event. The Christian delights with the thought that this body will be replaced by a glorified one. And the Spirit leads us to embrace your plan and purpose in and through it all. We thank you for your word, for your plan from eternity past to rescue and redeem fallen man and bring us into that place of love, acceptance in the family. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.